Welcome to the Unearthed Man Podcast, a journey becoming a conscious man, hosted by Milva. Hey all, Milva here, and welcome to episode 41 of the Unearthed Man Podcast. To kick off, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we work and gather, and their continuing connection to land and waters. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I pay tribute to the diversity of First Nations peoples of Australia and their ongoing culture. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then welcome aboard. If you're one of my regular listeners, then welcome back. I really appreciate your ongoing support. So if you are looking to know more about The Unearthed Man, then you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. It was a great chat with Brad last week, and he's so much to offer his clients and also the future generations. Um, it's heartwarming to know that there are men actively doing the work, which breaks a cycle and creates a new cycle for the future men and women. I'm looking forward to following Brad's journey as we go along. I first came across today's guest via Instagram, where he was putting up very funny reels with a very serious undertone, which relates to the current situation in Australia and the dictatorial and racial approach that is taking place against the Australian Aboriginal community. I then watched the one-hour video that he recorded on the eve of the first anniversary of his daughter's untimely and unnecessarily death. Throughout the whole hour, I swapped between many emotions, the two, two main ones being sadness and anger. This story and the atrocities that are still taking place in Australia when it comes to the Aboriginal community needs to be voiced and spread. My, my intuition told me to reach out and invite him onto the podcast. My guest is a descendant of the Wanyi, Garawa and Gungalita tribes from the Aboriginal community of Dumaji in the Gulf of Carpentaria, Queensland. He was born and raised on the Wanyi Garwa Land Trust and his extended family, sorry, with his extended family. He's an Aboriginal activist, respected leader, and advocate for Aboriginal rights. He's a highly regarded, he's highly regarded amongst his people and peers as a tribal lawman and warrior for the knowledge keepers. He began his career in radio, later breaking the television presenting and acting and more recently became a much sought-after motivational speaker, MC, and mentor. He was the director, concept creator, and associate producer of Zach Ceremony. This is the spiel for Zach Ceremony. It's an extraordinary feature-length documentary captured over 10 years that shows one boy's journey to manhood in a complex, emotionally-driven story. Its themes are universal, that of family and connection, but also explores the fascinating and unique question of what it means to be a modern man belonging to the oldest living culture on earth. I watched that, uh, that it's about a 90 minute documentary and it was amazing. The openness, the, uh, the grief, the, the sadness, the, 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 again, the emotions that we're going through, but just the pleasure and the interaction between my guest and his son, um, highly recommend everyone watch Zach ceremony. So, so having said all that, um, when I reached out to my guest with the intuition, I was absolutely humbled, uh, that he agreed to come on the podcast. Now I'm expecting this to be a very deep episode. There's probably going to be some laughs along the way, but there's certainly going to be a bit of depth that we'll go to here. So I, I'd suggest if you listen to this, grab a beverage, find a relaxing location and settle in for what will be a mind and heart, heart opening chat. So welcome to the Unearthed Man podcast, Alec Willie Stanley Dumaji. Hey, Alec, how are you, brother? Thank you for having me on, brother. And, and a big hello to all your listeners. And, and yeah, and I too would like to acknowledge you know, our uh, our custodians out there around the country, the, the owners of the land for which we sit. And, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you and, and thank you for reaching out and giving me the opportunity to come in, sit and, and chat with you. Um, you know, I want to quickly acknowledge uh, my mob up home, the Wanyagato and Gangada people. You know, I, I hail from the 
Mumbly and Wiriliya uh, clan groups um, of, of those tribes. I'm from that Gamadangi skin uh, uh, grouping, my moiety group, which gives me great significance amongst my mob. And I wear the Birida marks, the mark of the Buriburi, the shooting star. And they're the marks that I wear in our tribal initiation ceremonies. And I'm very honoured uh, to represent all of my mob up home. Um, and that's the connection I have to my people um, and my tribes. And, uh, you know, honoured to be uh, the, the son of Yalagunjimara, my mother, who's a powerful law woman with us as well. But thank you for having me on your show, brother. I'm really looking forward to this chat. And, um, yeah, it's it's been a crazy week, but, uh, you know, it's good to be home now and sitting here and having this discussion with you. So ready to roll. Beautiful. Thanks for that, man. Uh, and, you know, thanks for acknowledging you know, your your people and where you come from. There's a couple of things already in there that I, I want to get to um, as, as we continue to explore. And, and I'm hoping for all our listeners that this is – open-minded education about Aboriginals in Australia, the Aboriginal history. I mean, you know, th- there's history now showing, which is down, Warnable, which is West Victoria, that, you know, this this culture has lived for excess of 100,000 years, yet to be fully proven, but within the Indigenous culture, you know, they know that anyway um, within Australia, within the Aboriginal culture. So we want to explore through. Can I... Can I ask you to help clear up a few things for me as a you know, as a clear white man, right? Yeah. We we talk through three things. We talk through Indigenous, Aboriginal, and First Nations people. Yeah. Do you have a viewpoint on each of those? And just up front, what is the appropriateness of each and and the preference of each, so that again people can just have an understanding? Because uh, to be honest. I can't. I find a struggle to get a, a straight answer, and I find it confusing. <laughs> and I don't want to be disrespectful, right? So you're trying the best to be disrespectful. So, can you can you help me out, please? Stephen, it's funny because you, as a white man, is asking me, as an Aboriginal man, the meaning behind three white words. <laughs> I, th- I think that sums it up, doesn't it? Just, just there. <laughs> so you know, from my understanding, indigenous indigenous is. Uh, something that uh, is indigenous to this area or to that land. I, I think everybody's indigenous to a certain area. But again, if you look in the, in the uh, dictionary or whatever, I'm sure you're afraid it's an English word. So it's something that's it, it doesn't rattle my cage too much. Um, I've even heard Pauline Hansen call herself indigenous. So, you know, and, and she most likely is from wherever mm-hmm. redhead people come from. <laughs> Probably Scotland, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and and First Nations is a term that's been taken on because of the arguments around. And this is again, you know, um, uh, I guess native people, the first, the re- original inhabitants of this country, you know, Austra- Australia or whatever you know, the white man term for that. Again, let's get back to those two words you asked. They're all three white fellow words. They're from the white mm-hmm. man's English, First Nation has been adopted because of, I guess, the real connection with the Americans, the, the American mob, First Nation, but they use that term quite regularly. They also use Native, you know, Native Americans quite regularly. Um, and Aboriginal, um, I believe, was a terminology always brought in, uh, you know, for the Aboriginal mob here. But a lot of our mob are turning against that word because of the, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, um, the ab part of it, because it's abnormal or, you know, being an Aboriginal is is not what they're... Look, if you ask me what I call myself, I call myself uh, in our tongue, which is the Waini, Garawa, and Dangalit. That's my my tribes. Now, there's three tribes, and I'm connected to all of them. But within those tribes, you've got moiety groups, which connects you all. So, Wielia is one of the uh, uh, clans, which connects all the different tribes. 
and Mamblia, which is the from the my mother's side to the rainbow serpent blood, gives me that connection as well. So the Mamblia clan, Wheelie clan, is Bingo and, and and the father side. There, there's a there's an intricate sort of layer of identification amongst us. So the ID, I guess, or the or the title that the three titles you've just um, thrown at me are titles that you know. Um, let's be real, our invaders, our oppressors, or our landlords, not always our landlords, our overlords, have come in and, and bestowed upon us to identify us, not just in internationally, but you know, amongst themselves as well, and be able to put in writing in their white man policy who they're, who they're referring to when they're making oppressive laws for us. Let's just make some more laws for these indigenous people or these Aboriginal people. So, um, Answer to your question, I identify uh, with my tribal tongue because that's the tongue of this land. That's the tongue that belongs here, the original tongue. So, you know, um, I'm going to identify myself as that. And, and there's nothing wrong, nothing right about it. There's no arguments from me. There's a lot of people that get, you know, do get, I guess, um, uh, upset, upset by certain term, terminology. Trust me, I've been called worse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some of those names, you know, uh, you, have to even, you have to even point out to people because like, it's so normalized and so ingrained. I mean, the, the, the term ABO is, a, is, a, is, a, um, is like calling uh, an African-American, you know, a black, black American the N-word. That's, yeah, what that's, it, right. that's, that's the terminology behind it. You, know, you could go up and, and you call, and it rolls off the tongue down. I still got people, so, oh, you're an ABO, mate. And you look at them and, and you just kind of slap at them. But, you know, I've come to a higher point now where I'm beyond that. But the truth truth of the matter is um, it's certainly a, a um, derogatory term for Aboriginal people. Same with the term coon, same with the, the term boon. These are all very derogatory, you know, racist terms for Aboriginal people. And and it's so sad to see that a lot of people are still stuck in, 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 in that um that time space because we're beyond that we've, we've we've evolved and you need to be a little bit more mature about when you're dealing with this um but yeah look the right the, the right term for me would be in my own tongue and 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 that that means that i own my narrative i own my story you're not telling me who i am and what i am hey thank you uh that that's beautiful and as you're just talking through that the, the the interesting thing that came up in my mind, which again, you know, like I I'm on a big educational path here too, which is part of you know having you on board is, you know, if I say multiple you know white people, you know, and I'm looking at their name, I'm going to say, have you originated from Ireland, Scotland, mm. America? Like I'm, I'm going to pick a place. So it's actually completely disrespectful that if I actually don't see, uh, um, you know, some, someone who originated from this country, and it's not us white people, right, to mm. not actually walk up and say, what nation are you from or where are you from, what's your tongue, which, mm. which tribe were you from here here in this land, you know, the great southern land or whether we want to call it, mm. you know, because that, that that's no different. Like mm -hmm. if someone's in Europe, because when you look at Australia and Europe, effectively that's what Australia was pre-1788. It was a connected country, yep. but basically everybody had um, – and again, if my language is wrong, everyone was a caretaker for the component of the land of where they, they lived and they operated, and, mm. and they made sure that anything that they did on their land did not impact upstream, downstream, left, north, south, east, west. They basically, everything, if they looked after their 
their piece of land and and, and honoured it, then and everyone else did the same. You you have this beautiful connected country where you got no issues, no boundaries, mm. no fences, and and yeah. it should be you know. So if you do see a a you know, and in this day and age, it's even hard is it because. You can't assume if someone's like not dark skinned or, or you know, or you know, and I think you've referred to yourself at some point, Alec, as being a, a yellow fella. A yellow fella, um, yes. Yes. A yellow fella. We get touch on soon. Um, but yeah, just, just that, you know, like just just have the respect and actually ask someone, okay, so where you're from? Like what's what's your background? What's your tribe? Um, you know, and, well, and then just the, lot, I guess a lot of the ab- Aboriginal mob is that and, and even amongst the Aboriginal mob, like, you know, amongst the uh, first thing we say to each other is, hey, who are your mob? Where are you from? Like, we're straight up about it. So, mm-hmm. and, 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 and if the person is a white person, they'll come back and say, ah, oh, thanks, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm white, but I'm, 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 I'm not from a mob. But that's a, a real good way to kind of get it out is just ask who your mob is. When you use the, the term mob, which is a, co- a common phrase used amongst, you know, Aboriginal fellows and, and women for that matter, all that mob. It's kind of known straight away. It's a it's it's a term that's used predominantly amongst amongst First Nations mobs. So we you know we'll say who your mob where you're, where you're from kind of thing, um, and we're straight out like that because we want to know we want to identify you because straight away we can join can dots and connections, and just back to what you was referring to a minute ago about you know different nations governing their own areas. It's actually quite um, you know powerful and empowering to to know that you know when you look at the old ways of and it's actually still in play. It's still in play right now. It's coming back slowly. If you look at Australia at the moment, let's just put it in this term, right? You've got the federal government, you've got the Queensland government, you've got your state government. Each one of those, you've got your Victorian government, your South Australia. So you've got feds and you've got the states. So let's just look at the states. So basically, all the different Aboriginal groups or the tribes were states, the different states, right? And they had policies. Uh, and those policies were ratified and, and made legislation through song and dance and through ceremonies. So these ceremonies are called song lines. Mm-hmm. And they connected each tribal group around the entire continent. And every song and every part of it had secrets in it, had secret water holes, had secret uh, cave painting. It, it told you the secrets of the land and where you could do this, where you could do that, where you could travel, where you could hunt, where you could fish. But it also put in those in those song lines the laws of the land and how to govern them and what to do. If you're a certain country, you might want to burn a little fire behind your back so the spirits know you're you're a friend and not a foe. So within our song lines, within our initiation rites and ceremonies, you're taught all of this. These are the places that you learn your policies and procedures that governs your state. Now there there were over three hundred states um, mm. back in the day. When, when, I guess, uh, colonization happened and invasion happened, they came in and dismantled and destroyed that by bringing in oppressive racist policies and they attacked the ceremonies and the culture first. And I speak about it in my film that you mentioned earlier, Zach Ceremony, how they disempowered us by taking away our very, um, uh, I guess, um, platform and our very blueprint, our constitution, which is our ceremonies. That's what, that's, what our, that's what our ceremonies are. That's what our initiation ceremonies are. You're taking a young, it's like taking a, a, a high school student and put them into university and let them graduate. So when we go to our ceremonies, we graduate and we're getting told the laws and, of the land and how we are supposed to operate and how we should govern that land. So each tribal group had their own laws to govern and each tribal group had that information to pass on to the next one. And at the, at the crossroads, at the border of every single different tribal groups is where the song was picked up by that group and taken to the next country. 
And we shared responsibility for that. We all honoured and respected that. That was a known practice and policy for a long, long time. Some of the bigger tribes would sometimes invade the smaller tribes, but it always ended in big robberies and singing feasting and then uh, an understanding and a representation of what we're going to move forward with. So, you know, it, it, people say we were never warring uh, people. We did have war. We did have warriors. Our people knew how to fight um, and 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 protected this land. I mean, you got to know how to fight if you're protecting a continent for 80,000 years <laughs> and, and survive. Right. I mean, if anyone thinks that Aboriginal people weren't warriors, maybe they should they should have been living in a period when Pamelway fought the British in, in in Sydney for about eleven years and held them off and sent four governors on. See a real warrior. I mean, he's such a warrior that cut his head off and took it back to England. Still, they're still got his head in the jar in England. That uh, actually, so you know, we fought and and defended um, when we had to, but most of the time, a lot of our uh, interactions with our neighbours were. That of, I guess, respect and honour. And, and we found a way to find allies in each other. And, and some of them were those Moichi groups. I talked about earlier, your skin name and your clan groups. Those Moichi groups gave you an opportunity to marry into your neighbour's um, tribe. So if you're with this, that's why we talk about straight skin and wrong skin. Mm-hmm. That actually, so you, you'd be able to strengthen your tribe. And I'm not talking strength in, in, in military might or, you know, having more uh, warriors to fight and destroy the Mexicans. It's it's more the might to survive, to have more warriors to hunt, to feast, to gather. There might be some um, you know tribes that had uh, less men uh, and or less women. So it was a way of strengthening your tribe to be able to survive and and and, and you know do, uh, um, follow the seasons and hunt and fish and gather. And you know we we also you know, there's a myth that we're no, we're, we're nomads. We, we weren't nomads. We had a certain part we lived. We had we had dwellings. It's just it, it was just um, propaganda lies to just you know to basically try and disconnect us from our country to make it all right for the invaders to claim a continent without actually having treaties with us. It's a, that's the simple truth of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely agree. Um, so there's I've spoken to this on on a previous podcast, but again, I just want to remind people for those uh, you know white mob who want to do uh, some basic reading and some education to go through. One, read the Dark Emu because that that's a really written well for white people to have an understanding. Um, uh, the other one is there's the first knowledge book, a series that are coming out and one's about song lines and one's about design. And they talk exactly into everything that Alex just spoke about, which is, you know, this debunking the myth that you just had these roaming, you know, um, again, roaming mobs just going all oh. over Australia, wherever they wanted to go. Like they, that, that some were farmers and some were fishermen and some mm-hmm. some did a combination of both and depends where they're like you know Alec uh, so Dumaji is up on the south part of the Gulf of Carpentaria um, so basically and I'll talk into what your people would have done but I'm assuming there was definitely fishing and hunting and and aspects that took place up there um, you know so. And from my understanding, again, Alec, is that you know, and so I want to go back to this history, which is good because I really want to set the scene as to what's happening today, right? Mm. So part of that was depending also uh, the mobs and where they had, whether they actually had some farmland or whether they had hunting or whatever else, they were, part of that coming together of two different tribes or different robberies was also to be able to actually say, I've got an abundance of crops, I've got an abundance of kangaroo, I've got an abundance of this, and actually have a sharing place where basically where trade would take place. And so people could actually also trade because that's also what's been seen in history about the the detailed level of trading that used to actually take place because people are finding, um, you know, I suppose artifacts 
that originate again up in North Queensland, but they find them further down south for it be through New South Wales or different things. So the only way that could have taken place again was through a very active trading system that happened again between like, all the different mobs. Well, exactly. There was, you know, there was trading going on in this country for thousands of years between um, our mobs. So we, we've been doing it for a long time. It's not, nothing new to us. You know, and then there was international trade going on. There was, you know, um, Indonesians coming across. You, had, you know, we had you know, Vanuatu mob coming across. You had you know, all these different groups that were coming across doing trading. You know, we'd, we'd trade with our medicine. I mean, sandalwood's one of our main medicine. We'd, we'd trade with a lot of the mob. Um, I think this fellow's called the Makassans. They, they, they came across as well um, up in, you know, uh, almost, you know, 100, 200 years way before anyone else came here. So the the the, the, the um, knowledge, I guess, and and uh, around trading has been something you know passed down for generations among the Aboriginal mob, and and all the different dances and songs and and I guess rituals that went with you know the intricate rituals that went into I guess um, these trade routes were also part of our I guess history telling and our and our and our narrative. We you know, we didn't use books and pens and papers. That wasn't our thing. Song and dance and customary law and 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 oral history was part of what we do. Um, you know, we did paintings as well up on up on cave walls. Um, and you know, the, the, there was a known cycle of the season. We'd follow the four seasons. So we'd have we would we'd have a different sort of area to hunt and fish during those seasons and where we'd travel to. But each area all had occupations over long periods of time. I mean you know, the, the Lawn Hill National Park or the Bujimal National Park, where, you know, the Wanyu people are from, they inhabited that area. for th- It's been carbon dated 30,000 years in that mm. one area. You know, and just because they're not big, you know, pyramids or huge, you know, skyscraper structures, it does not mean that they were, I guess, of a lesser intelligence than these other sort of, I guess, um, mobs from around the world. It just means that it wasn't necessary. It mm. just wasn't necessary to build skyscrapers. It wasn't necessary to build a, a, a pyramid out there. We had everything we needed from the land and on the land. So we honored it, we looked after it, and we cared for it the way it was. You know, there, there were structures built from certain things, but most of the time, you know, the caves were enough. The caves were, you know, warm, warm in winter and cool in summer. I mean, they were air conditioned in summer. And in, in winter, all you do is light a fire, and then it warms up and, and the rocks are all hot. And you, you, you didn't need it. It was like your own air conditioning unit. You know I mean, so it makes sense that in a country that's 99, you know, 95% of the uh, uh, time um, this country's, you know, hot, dry, kind of arid, you know, <laughs> desert-like, yeah. it makes sense not to be stressing your body out and running around carrying big boulders for some overlord to build a pyramid in honor of him. <laughs> I mean, what, it would be crazy not to do that. <laughs> Especially that heat. That's right. Either that or the, uh, or the aliens didn't actually come and visit this part of the world, you know, whichever oh. theory you want to run with, but, but we won't go into that one on, on this episode. Um, <laughs> but the thing on the song line, which I, I saw once, and I do like, again, you know, uh, to, to to you know dumb it down, which which I really don't want to do because you know the the um the mob culture is, is so so intricate and complex. But that the the mobs that lived along where the Great Barrier Reef is, actually one of their song lines talks about the fact of how they how they actually watch the ocean actually come all the way in. Like 
the land used to go out where the Great Barrier Reef was. That was where the land ended before it got the sea. And in over 10,000 years, the, the, the land or well, the sea actually retracted down to the point where the land ends now. And so they talk to that within a songline. They actually talk to that, the fact of over watching over all that period of time. Again, the fact that they have a, a song, a songline and a story and a dance that depicts how far out land used to be. And now how far inland it actually is, and and that's again been dated to happen that happened ten thousand years ago. Again, is just testament to the fact of how strong the song lines are, how much they've been handed down. Someone on average lives 50, 60 years, you know, um, or, or, you know, 60, 80 years and handing down. That's a lot of handing down of a traditional song for something to take place over ten thousand years. Um, it is, and 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 you think about the important sort of duties that one, you know, uh, certain members of of tribes had to keep that story ongoing and to keep the truth about it ongoing, and and a lot of the, I'll tell you, a lot of the song lines and all the a lot of the truths that are in them still hold up today. Like you can go to certain parts of the country and you'll find a waterhole here. Or you can go and you can find, you know, um, uh, petrified wood here, or you know, uh, uh, ancient sort of fossils of of, you know, barramundi dreamings or whatever. And they're, they're all actually still hold up. So it's 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 basically, you know, uh, I guess um, an encyclopedia or, or, or a a, a, um, uh, a history look at mm. this country and, and over thousands of years. And, and and that's very impressive. You know, we, we outdate the Incas and, and, the, and the Egyptians, for that matter, by thousands of years. Uh, it, it's not like only by a hundred. We're talking thousands and thousands, and that's been proven in, by science. Um, so we, you know, we certainly have a, an, an intimate knowledge and an intimate relationship with this country, and, and it's a powerful thing. And, and it's and it's a it's a tool worth uh, acknowledging and, and utilizing, especially in this day and age when there's so much, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 I guess um, uh, natural sort of disasters happening with bushfires and you know the climate at the moment climate change is a big it's a big problem you know yeah. aboriginal knowledge can be utilized to actually i guess help humanity in a, in a really powerful way if if that's what you know uh, i guess the powers of be chooses to do and I, th- I think that's a really good point that uh that that i want to start to get into um but half a step back I- i'm interested now with you alec is um so, so your Instagram handle is uh, Jagbakala. Jagbakala, 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 yeah. Jagbakala. So, Jagbakala. again, <laughs> I'm, I'm white, right? So I'm never going <laughs> to say it correctly, right? Um, over time, I would learn, right? But the Which means wedgetail eagle. And so, yes. you know, and uh, that I'm not sure if that's been bestowed on you, but that that's where you've got that. Yes. But also know in Zach's ceremony, you talked to, I think it was the black cockatoo, Yes. Or your spirit bird is the black cockatoo from yes. where you're from. Yep. Um, again, just so I'm aware, how do they play in with each other and, and, and that spirit bird or how that spirit, you know, animal comes into play with yourself? Well, it's, it's, it's like a sign. So it, it's like a sign for – so when your mother, even, even if you're, your, your parents even um, uh, actually, I guess, conceive you, there could even be a thought or a dream about you coming. And Aboriginal people are very spiritual, very spiritually powerful people. We're probably, you know, one of the most in tune sort of race of people in the world with our spirituality. And, mm-hmm. I'll, and I need to say this because it, it connects to those song lines as well. 
not only are songlines and our dancing ceremonies a roadmap or an information highway, it also delves and touches into the spirit world. And we believe a lot of our songs can transcend you into the spirit world, whether it's even having discussions with aliens or mm. discussions with other tribal groups around the world, portholes that takes us into the realm of, you know, the afterlife or even over into, you know, um, uh, mental t- telepathy, t- telepathy, I think that's the word. Yep. So, so we have a really, I uh, guess, in tune knowledge of intuition and using our physical being to go into the next realm of spirituality. And that's one of the really powerful things about Aboriginal. Um, so, you know, you want to talk about my name, Jadbagala. We'll get to that one in a minute. But when we go to our totems or our, our, our dreaming, we call them, it's either something your parents dreams about or they come in touch with before you're conceived or even after you're conceived. And it, 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 it then becomes attached to you spiritually. So with my case, with the Black Copper too, it was, it was, it came to my mother at a time when she uh, needed a message. And my mother was a young Aboriginal woman that was a slave from the mission of Dumaji. Because mm. the mission of Dumaji, my home, was ruled with a brutal sort of force by the brother, fundamentalist brethren church. And, uh, you know, the, the mission men today used to send young women out, young men as slave labor to the nearby partial companies. So my mother became a slave girl from Dumaji when she was only 17 or 18 years old. Even younger. I think she started when she was only 12, 13 years old when, she, when they had her in the dormitory. They, what they did was they put them into dormitories or, as in the case of an American Canada, they call them residential schools. Down mm-hmm. here, they call them dormitories or missions, basically taking children off their parents and putting them in this white man sort of institute to civilize them and educate them. While they're there, they basically became slave labor. They washed, they cleaned, they cooked. And if they didn't, they got flogged, they got punished. They got their hairs cut. They got locked up. They got chains put on their legs, made to stay in a corner in a sack bag or a potato sack to, to um, dehumanize them or to, you know, basically to break them down. Mm. So my mother was one of these young women that became that and she got sent away to the nearby um, pastoral companies up in the, Lower Gulf region, some very big pastoral companies up there that made millions and millions of dollars off the back of Aboriginal slavery. My mummy was one of those slaves. And I'm a product of slavery because a white man impregnated my mother while she was out on these slave camps, uh, you know, on droving camps, working in mustering camps. There was this practice in Australia, if you don't know it, I'm about to tell you now, called the drover's son. Now, I'm not saying that my mother was a drover's son, but this is a known practice amongst Aboriginal mob and all those drovers out there, white pastoralists and, and, and white man cattle barons, they know of this practice and they choose not to speak of it. Um, it was called the drover's son. What would happen is white men that was out on droving parts and camps, they go to Aboriginal camps and they'd get young girls as young as 10, 11 and 12 because they would have been still you know, untouched sexually. And they'd take them and they'd, they'd cut their hairs and they'd dress them up as boys. And they'd work them during the day as boys, as men, slave them. And at night, they'd sexually abuse them. They became their, their sexual companions on those long three, four months droving camps. And they'd end up dropping them at the next camp once they're once they through them or give them, hand them over to their other men in their party. Now, this practice is a known practice that created a lot of yellow fellas across this country, including yours truly. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, and my mother still to have this conversation with me, so I'm out speaking about it now, and we've 
spoken a little bit here and there about it. And I can feel there's a lot of pain and trauma there. So I'm being very gentle with my mom. And you got to realize I'm 45 years old and it's taking me a long time to be able to sit down with mom and even give her the, the platform to speak her truth. And I'm slowly giving her that with my podcast. That's what that's what my podcast is about. You know, Phoenix Rising, the Alec Dumaji Chronicles. I'm speaking my truth and I'm you know talking about my lived experience and my lived reality. Um, I'm not going to go out and try and tell someone else's story. So, you know, we're talking here about, I guess, um, the connection to the spirit animal and our spirit bird, our totem. So when my mother was away from her country, away from her parents in the sanctuary and the safety of her tribe, the black cockatoo spirit came to her and she saw them birds and they yelled and squawked before I was even conceived. And she told me that it was the most calming and beautiful thing that ever uh, came to a young woman of her age. And it gave her peace to know that something special was coming to her. And our law and custom as well, it's funny because the black cockadoo is the bringer of the rain. It's the rain bird. And right now, it's just started raining here at my, well, my home. It's, it's literally raining outside. It's talking about something that's very important to me. Um, you know, I've got black cockadoo feathers hanging up everywhere here. Check this one out. Yes. <laughs> like, like this. I normally wear this in my, it's a headdress I made for when I do crawberry and dances. Yeah. Uh, the black cockadoo feathers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, when, when that spirit bird came to my mother, it gave her peace away from her mob and the sanctuary and the safety of her family and her father was a big warrior man. Um, and, you know, having a uh, fair-skinned child back in the 70s was taboo and shame job for your mob. So when she went home and they realized that she was impregnated by a white man while she was out on a cattle camp, you know, it became shame for my family and for my mother to walk around town and, uh, you know, finally give birth to me when she did. But she always knew that this spirit animal came to her and she bestowed upon me, you know, the, the Lidagi. That's the proper name for the black cockatoo, the, the spirit bird. You get two marine meanings, like I said, you bring rain, but he's also the messenger bird. He brings the messages of hope, the message of wisdom um, and knowledge. And, and mum felt that it was important that she, you know, gave birth to me and gave me a life. Um, it was very, I guess, powerful that her father, my grandfather was a really strong, powerful lawman and, you know, found, uh, uh, I guess, a, a, a really strong lawman in town. He was a Wanyi Gadawa lawman and his name was Dungamaji, Don George, who, who stepped up and took my mother under his wing. And his first wife had already died and he had four kids to raise to his first wife. And I, you, know, you spoke about my documentary earlier. I speak a little bit, you know, I, I, I've, I've actually made the documentary film not just about my son, Zach, but in honor of my father, Dunga, Dunga mm. this old lawman. So, you know, he took mom on as his wife and he took on the burden of this yellow fella kid that was about to be born and brought him into a world, you know, and gave me the a sanctuary and the safety of him as my father. Um, you know, and if you speak about my names, my white man names, was uh, given to me, again, strategically to protect me, not just from the, the white law, but also through Blackfellow law and Aboriginal law. My, uh, my, my actual real names in the white man world is William Stanley Dumaji. Now, William is my mother's Barnangi, her big uncle, this top lawman whose real name was Murundu. So Murundu Dumaji, Murundu Dumaja. Murundu was a proper big lawman he was the rainbow serpent singer. He sang the songs of the rainbow tongue. In fact, he was such a powerful leader that his name, Murundu, 
is mentioned in our ceremonial initiation songs and song lines that govern our country. So to have his name, his white man named William given to me was a way of protecting me as well. And then my mother's my mother's father was Stanley Dumaji. And Stanley, Bingadawee was his proper name. He was a very staunch warrior. Now, he and Willie were like chalk and cheese. Willie was a diplomat, a songman, a negotiator. Stanley was a punch-you-in-the-face warrior. We're going to fight. It's happening. This shit's going down. You understand? They were kind of like, like, I guess, like Benelong and Pamela. If you don't know who Benelong or Pamela is, do a bit of history, do a bit of research, probably pick up a book by um, Bruce Elder from the Sydney Morning Herald. He was a journalist with them called Blood on the Wattle. I, I advise a lot of, you know, uh, non-Indigenous people, you know, white fellows or fellows of different country when they come to this to Australia to read Blood on the Wattle because it's history. It's actual written history um, put into sort of, I guess, chronological sort of um, uh, chronologically over the, you know, the, the date of invasion. But, yep. you know, they talk about Camelway and Benelong on there. And I actually, I'll, I'll actually urge Aboriginal more about there as well because there's a lot, there's this mis- interpretation or mis sort of um, guided thought that most Aboriginal fathers know this stuff as well, but most of them don't because they've been miseducated too by the system. So I'll mm-hmm. urge anybody out there with, that want a bit of knowledge around, you know, what, what happened from the date of invasion, pick up blood on the waddle because, you know, one thing the white fellow did do, he wrote a lot of stuff down and he, and he, <laughs> he cut his own throat. He's telling, <laughs> telling, telling all the truths that are going to come out later, so he bars it. Um, but you know, back to back to my grandfather's William Stanley. So my real white man name is William Stanley Dumachi. And um, everyone asks, well, hey, where did the name Alec come from? Uh, and I always tell them it's because in the late 80s, Alec Baldwin was a big star, and everyone thought I looked as good as Alec Baldwin. Nothing, just a bit of comedy, a bit of bit of fun. Um, the truth of the matter is there was an uncle called Alec Hogan. Alec Hogan was married to my mother's little sister. Um, Eunice, Mum Eunice, and and when old man Willie Murundu Murundu Willie Dumaji died, we couldn't speak his name no more. And in our culture, in our law, when when someone of that great importance dies, you have to change their name. And it's disrespectful to speak their name while they cross over into the dreaming and get up there with the spirit people because you speak their name too much, they'll come back and not haunt you, but they give you a rough time and be cheeky and tease you quite a bit. And because Marundu really was, a, his nature was like that anyway, you know, mum and everybody said, we can't speak granddad's name no more. And it just so happened, Uncle Alec was there that day. He said, Alec's a good name. Let's call you Alec from now on. And that's where Alec Dumaji came from. And um, it's, 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 it's stuck with me ever since. A lot of people, um, you know, uh, uh, think there's two two people. They think there's a William Dumaji and they think there's an Alec Dumaji. <laughs> <laughs> but we're actually the same person. <laughs> but um, I guess just just your original question was about the totem, and, and and I guess that's the story behind my name, where it came from, um, and and the to- well, uh, the totem to me, the black cockatoo, is really important. That and some of us have more than one totem. It's not necessarily you have one totem. You know, mum could have walked past a brown snake and a kangaroo at the same day, and it probably my totem could, could have been my totems as well. And sometimes we, we do that. We do have more than one totems um, because the signs tell us, I guess, and, and again, it's not just the physical form of it. It's the spirituality and the connection of the spirituality of it. So then they become song lines and they become stories that actually grow into something bigger. And it, 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 it manifests itself into something that is 
inform what I am. And, and that's now become a part of my personality, become a, my DNA, become, become a part of who I really am. Um, so that's the black cockatoo, the, the, the liragi. Um, you know, uh, we'll, if you want to keep talking about names, I can go into the Jadbagala name if you want, because um, it's, it's it's an interesting sort of, I guess, uh, chat to go on with. But as I mentioned, my, my grandfather, Marundu, Marundu Willie Dumaji, uh, his, his nephew, who is my sort of my blood uncle, is a man called Marundu Yana, who's a staunch warrior for our people up in the, uh, from the Gangalita tribe up in the Lower Gulf region. And, um, you know, he's been watching me for years and he, he, he knows that I always want to have a, you know, one of my tribal names. And you'll notice on the film Zach Ceremony, I, I say my name uh, as Gugarndu, as Gugarndu. Now, the reason for that is because back then, again, Alec Hogan, who gave me the name Alec, decided he was going to give me a language name. And when I was a young fella, I was a pretty boy and, you know, I was a sports star and I played rugby and a bit of boxing and, and all the girls liked me and I was cute and all. <laughs> so he had a he had an old uncle called Gugandu who was a bit of a Romeo. He had more than one wives. So he teased me when they answered, oh, now I'm going to call you Gugandu because you're a bit of a, you're, you're a bit of a, um, you know, Romeo. You get too much girlfriends. And, and it was a nice, nice name to have, but it wasn't one that was really mine that came from, it was it was it was passed down from somebody else, and I didn't feel like it was ever ever really my name. Um, so eventually, you know, years later, so that Alec, you know, died back in two thousand and two, I think it was. Um, and and I, I didn't feel right having that name. It was it was it was a bit of a fun thing with him, and 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 I loved that. But the fact that it was, you know, I kept going. I really I feel like my name will come to me at a certain point. Um, in 2018, I, I led a protest on Wanyi land, um, uh, you know, for the for the Wanyi people. And Marundu Yana saw me, and he saw me sitting on this hill, perked up on this hill with the black cockatoo feather around my head. And he's seen all the dreams I was at, and he had a dream. He said, you need to come see me. We have to go to the ceremonies ground. Come over here. And it's, this is actually the first time I'm, I'm telling this story, to be honest with you. And it was such an honor because, you know, I, I, I hold Marundu in very high regards, and he's, he's a... Is a man of high pedigree and law, you know, customary tribal law amongst our people. He's a big lawman for the Gangalita mob and holds a lot of weight. So he, he called me over and I went over and spent the night and had dinner. He said, you're going to need to come out to the lawn, uh, to the to the men's ceremony ground. I've got something very important to tell you. Your name came to me. Your, your, your name came to me in a, in a dream. So we went out and stood there and, and he, you know, we did a, we did a ceremony around it. I'm not going to get too much into how it happened, but we did a ceremony and basically said, um, from this day forward, all the mold names you had, you leave them behind. You'll still be known of them for some reason or another. Like, you leave them behind now, that's not you no more. Your name is Jad Bagala. Now, the proper way to pronounce it is Jad Bagala, Jad Bagala. You've got to roll your tongue with the R, but Jad Bagala seems a little bit more easier for white fellas to get their head around. So, and Jadbagala means the wedge-tail eagle. And he told me that when he saw me perched up on that hill with the feathers around my head, it reminded him of the wedge-tail eagle and the importance of the wedge-tail eagle plays amongst Aboriginal people up in the lower Gulf region, which is they're the visionaries and they're the guardians of our mob. And they see the future more than our other, other uh, I guess, spirit animals because they're the only bird that can fly above the storms. You know, the storms I'm hearing right now, the rain and the cyclones, they fly above it and they keep an eye out spiritually for our people. 
and he felt that I was doing the same with what I would, with, you know, some of the actions I was taking at home. And still to this day, I mean, I was with him last week in Burktown. We, you know, we just got a new native title claim for the Wanyi people. And he looked at me and he goes, that's why your name's Jagbagalit, because you, you're able to see the visions for our mob in this region. And, you know, you're obviously doing things uh, to protect us and to sustain us in the future. So that's where my names have come from. You know, and, and they're all very important to me for some shape, form or another. But I'm very honored that I, I carry such important names. You know, the earlier ones I had was for survival and to keep me alive. Um, and mum was very smart about how she did that. Um, you know, the other ones were a bit of a comedy, a bit of a funny thing and out of respect for the old father, old granddad. And then you know, the last one was bestowed upon me for something I earned. I earned that name, Joe Bagala. I mm. fought and it wasn't something I went out and said, I'm doing this to get this name. It just happened because I was I was walking my path in an honorable, respectful manner um, as a warrior. Um, and you know, I wear all of them, all, all of those titles with, with with a lot of pride, a badge of honors to me. Uh, th- thanks for sharing all that. Um, and thank you. If this is the first time you, you talked about uh, I, I can't roll my R's. I, I've got this stupid little flat tongue and it's never gonna happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for, for starting, you know, Jabagala. Um Thanks for that. I really appreciate that. The one thing in the very short time that I've sort of got to know you and, you know, be it through social media and everything else or just through Zach's ceremony, um, you are a complete embodiment of every one of those names that uh, has been bestowed on you. Um, and Thank you. It's easy, it's easy to see from a distance, uh, you know, um, you know, I we often think about, you know, our grandparents and, you know, for, for, for um you know, Aboriginals that the people have gone off the dream time and, and so forth, you know, that they were looking down on us and, you know, are they proud of us and, and so forth. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, every one of them would be one proud of you two probably channeling themselves still back through you, um, giving mm. everything that I've seen. So, uh, you know, um, I wear everything with pride. Um, it, it's just fantastic. So thanks for sharing that. That's just, no, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. it. Uh, back, back on a few things. So, I absolutely um, am a big believer of, um, you know, pre-life, this this current skin form that we're in, we're here for a reason, you know, where we go on to afterlife, you know, spirit, energy, connection. So, you know, I am a full believer of, you know, um, I'm here for a purpose. I'm still uncovering what that purpose is. Maybe this podcast because it feels so true and then I get to connect to people like yourself and put a message out. So all I'm doing now is that, you know, spent – I've got 10 years on you. I spent probably 52 years just, you know, a bit in cynical world and a bit of everything else. But now I'm like, I, I am completely fully open to a lot of things that could be taking place that that's around us. Um, you know, and, and so I, I'm enjoying this because, you know, that I, I completely get it. I'm mm-hmm. learning more about it, but I can, I completely understand it. And I can completely understand, you know, uh, w- some of the some of the conversation having about that connection and 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 that you know the the pre dreaming and and you know that the message is coming in and saying this is what we need to do. Um, mm. I, I feel, I feel it's in all of us. Yeah. But but in our Western world, over our hundreds of years and and even thousands of years, it's just been beaten out of us. Like for some reason, there's some regime has taken, has slowly beaten out the ability to have connection. And, and um, I, I think if we can reopen up that energy channel and reopen up that. And so I, in the area I deal with now, there are a number of people who, you know, are becoming more connected, more open, more intuitive, more taking things on, which again, you know, 
and I'll use the word Aboriginal, for the Aboriginal must be looking going, you people are fucking <laughs> stupid. Like, <laughs> fuck. Wait, you think this is a new phenomenon? <laughs> like, you know, like, so then you're shaking and you go, what the fuck are you people like thinking? Like, come on, seriously. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so there's, there's embarrassment that comes with that. But, you know, you know, again, it's, it's, we can only open up and learn and, and start to re educate, I suppose. Well, it's it's a belief, right? It's a it's a it's a you live it, you breathe it, you you practice it, and you believe it, and it's it it can becomes reality. You know, um, you're just saying about you know, Aboriginal fellows waiting. You know, we're we're the we're the kings, we're the masters of the waiting game. We're we're very patient, very patient people. Um, and there's a there's a there's an art to it. There's an art that Aboriginal people practice, and it's it's got different names around the country from different tribal groups, but there's a uh, old auntie called Judy Atkinson, who, who's uh, from uh, down near Lismore Way in uh, northern New South Wales. And she teaches it. They call it you know, the art of Didiri, the art of learning how to wait for the perfect time, the perfect storm to awaken people. And you and I, brother, are currently sitting in, in, a, in a perfect storm. That's an international storm around the globe that's awakening for people. And I see it as a great opportunity to uh, I guess uh, refresh, um, rebirth, and 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 retrain ourselves in what you just said, you mob lost. <clears throat> um, you know, it's it's not hard for your mob. You just got to find that connection again. Uh, you know, our mob, our Brazilian mob, we 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 stamp the ground, we sing our songs, we awaken the spirits. We'll use the body as a temple. We'll do things to our body with sleep deprivation, with pain, with um, hunger, with starvation, to go into a different realm and platform to be able to speak to our ancestors to talk to the spirits and we'll use we'll do that without any substance abuse in our bodies and that's why it's sad to see a lot of my mob and a lot of our people lost in substance abuse it's the oppressors and our invaders using that to disconnect us you understand and when they disconnect you they plug you into their matrix and their narrative and their story and they change who you are and they turn you against your own mob but when you come back into this world where we're really we really are the masters back here in the spirit world we can do things that I've, I've, I've seen, uh, I guess, that people would think are impossible. Um, I, I, I live and breathe my culture so much in a, in a sense that psychologically, I don't believe there's anything I can't do. And people say to me, how come you're so confident? And this is why. I'm confident because I psychologically believe I can achieve whatever I set out to do. I didn't go to film school to learn how to make a movie. I just made that film because I believed I could do it. And I believed that for the right purpose. And I, I surrounded myself with people that could bring the tools necessary to be able to get to the end product. I, I, I traveled the world because I believed I could do it. And I psychologically told myself I'm important and I'm, I, I can do this. So physically, my physical form is only a manifestation of my psychological sort of strength. And when they break you down they, and they chuck spirits at you, alcohol, drugs, whatever, that depowers you, that de-warriors you and takes you to somewhere where you're not connected no more. And, and that's, that's what's been the tactic of our oppressors the world over. And that's happened here very strategically, uh, very powerfully in Australia. And, you know, one of the best things Australia is good at, you know, they're, they're, they're the best at denial and lies mm. and propaganda. So that's why I question them. And when I, you know, even when I got my own mob attacking me and saying things to me, you know, I don't attack them back because some of them don't know, know what they don't know what they say. I don't live in the world I live in. I haven't seen the power of cultural spirituality and ceremony. Like 
I've done things where it's on a different realm and on a different platform that I know I'm safe, that I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm okay because of my belief. I'll give you one example. When I went on my walkabout, when I went on my walkabout in in uh, 2013, I think it was, or 12 or 13, and it's in, it's in the film Zach Ceremony. I went to America. I've never been to America in my life, but physically, spiritually, psychologically, I had a real strong connection with the native mob over there. And I was seeing them come to me in ceremonies and in dreamscapes and dream spaces and in this psychological sort of um, spiritual world when I was going to ceremonies. So when I was practicing my ceremonies here and doing our powerful song lines and dances, I could feel them and I could see them and I could see them dancing powerhouse to me. I could see them messaging me. So I started having conversations with my elders and my law keepers, you know, our, our men of high, high degree amongst our mob. And I said, look, uh, these messages are coming to me to do the walkabout and go and sit with these Native Americans. And our lawmen said to me, and there's a few of them that said, they said, it's actually them calling you. We've been speaking them to the spirit world for a long time. They do ceremonies like us too, but you need to go and see them and sit with them. Now, anyone will tell you, you know, America is a pretty, you know, I guess, violent country. You know, they carry guns. There's a lot of, I guess, you know, um, uh, reasons to be scared to travel a country like America. You know, and and someone like myself, you know, pretty naive and pretty, at that time, wasn't very worldly. It would be, I guess, <laughs> you know, a scary thing for anybody to do. But in my head, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. So I flew into America and I, I did this big walkabout around. You know, uh, I, I'll, I'll get into the story another time. But but I, I flew into Nashville and I took a Greyhound bus from Nashville to um, to Hopi Land because when I got to Nashville, my Native American brother that I was coming to see, who I'd never met before, never met him, but we psychologically connected and we started talking on Facebook and through mm -hmm. friends of friends of friends, which I kind of connected. He said, "You got to." I was going to go to Nashville and meet with him. Um, and, and I got there. And he wasn't there. He was out in the power trail doing ceremonies and stuff. He said, look, brother, you must go and connect with the Hopis first because from what I understand, they're the oldest native tribes over here. So go and, go and see the Hopis. They have prophecies that you talk about. And I didn't. This is my first conversation on the phone with him. Nothing else just via text you know, on, on Facebook. But in my, my intuition and my spirituality, my belief told me that this was, this was the right thing to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to see the country. I'm going to jump on a Greyhound bus. Now, I don't know if anyone knows this, but Nashville to Arizona is almost a week's drive. Yeah. I didn't know this. You know, like I, 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 I just, naive, just with my naive, naive and, you know, un, uh, untraveled, I just went and did it. And, I, and I'm glad I did it. And anyone will tell you as well, jumping on a Greyhound bus in America is pretty dangerous. Because you've got a lot of the, you know, the low-end people that can't afford to fly, jump on there. And, you know, a lot of people, very desperate people that you're more likely to get robbed or you get bashed or, you know, something's going to happen to you. So I was, you know, I was, I was, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't the smartest thing to do, but I, I knew I had to do it. So I did it. Um, I, I, I'm traveling, I'm, I'm three days in and I, and I get to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm sitting in my seat and this brother jumps on and he walks past me and he looks at me and he comes back and he goes, is that seat taken? And I said, no, you can sit. So he sits beside me and I can tell he's a native brother. I can tell whether, you know, um, uh, whether he's, you know, he's a native brother from over then. For about I don't know, three or four hours, we don't talk. We stop at a place called Laguna. He jumps out and 
then he comes back on and he's sitting beside me. And um, we're still not talking. I'm looking at you know, out the window. Yeah, he looked like a, looked like out of a John Wayne movie. It really sort of um, blew my mind how amazing that you know Arizona, New Mexico country is. Mm-hmm. I, I could see the Comanches, and I could see bloody uh, Geronimo and the Apaches riding out there, the spirit world. Anyway, he this brother beside me started talking to his mother. Now I was on my way to the Hopi reservation to go and sit with the Kachina dancers because the Kachinas are the spirit beings from the spirit realm, and the Kachinas mm-hmm. were also part of also part of building you know the mesas and the pyramids mm. you know so these are these are spirit beings that i had to go and introduce myself to in america and i'm sitting on this on this bus beside this random fellow from albuquerque and he starts talking to his mother about 100 miles before we got to winslow and he goes yeah mom i'm coming home to help in the mesa i'm coming home to help at the plaza yep i'll be there for the kachina dancer rah, rah, rah. i'll see you soon mom I looked at him and I said, brother, are you native? And he goes, yeah. And he looked at me and he's like, why? And I said, oh, I'm native too. I'm, I'm, I'm Aboriginal. And I, and I could see the look on his face like, you know, yeah, bullshit. You don't look Aboriginal to me. Because <laughs> I could pass for Maori. I could pass for Mexican. I've had people tell me I'm Spanish. I've had people tell me I'm Native American. You know, I could, that's, I, I've got this worldly look, which, which kind of has helped me over the years. And I, and I said, um, here's a picture. I pulled up my Facebook up and I pulled a photo out of mom. I said, that's my mother. And he went, oh, my God. I said, yeah, so, you know, I'm Aboriginal. This is my mother. And and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm actually coming here to come and visit the Hopi people, to come and sit with them uh, and see the Kachina dancing because I was told to come and show my respect to them. And he said, if you're for real and if you're truthful, here's my number. And he wrote his number on a piece of paper, handed it to me, he got off the and he said, you call me, my parents and I, my mother and I are the ones cooking at, at the plaza tomorrow. And he got off at Winslow. I kept going to Flagstaff, spent the night there, got up the next morning, got a hire car and drove that to Kamitsmobi, which is the res out, out north of Winslow. And I get there, and there's hundreds of people in the plaza region. And, you know, they're all up on the, on the top of the, the houses and they're looking down into the plaza. So they're just rectangular. And the Kachina dancing in, in full flight and full regalia dancing. And, you know, it's hot and they're praying and singing and dancing for rain and for corn. And I'm there for about five minutes and I feel this tap on my shoulder. I look up and it's this fella, Jojo, Joseph Stacy. That's Joseph Stan, um, Joseph, uh, yeah, Joseph Stacy, Jojo Stacy. And he says to me, look like it wasn't full of shit, brother. You're a real fool. He said, you need to come with me. Here's a bottle of water for you. My, my parents are down here. My mothers were down here waiting for you with corn, with food for you. The Kachina wants to meet, the Kachinas want to meet you and bless you for coming. And I'm, I'm blown away. So mm. I go down, I sit, the dancers go on all day, and then eventually the kachinas, the head a couple of head they come over and they offer me their, their, hot, their made, you know, the handmade ceramic bowls, which I don't know if you've seen sort of Hopi art or, you know, um, Mayan ink and sort of art. This is, I mean, the Pablos, they're similar. They make these bowls and they have this amazing, amazing sort of artwork that could be alien-like. Yes. And they hand it to me, which is full of corn, which is their, their you know, what they're praying for, what they're singing for, um, and, and offer this corn to me, which was really important. And and I knew then, I said, even before then I knew, but I, I could tell us I'm on the right path. Here. This is the right thing to do. That night while I sat there and feasted with them and chatted and talked, the, the next, the, that night I had a dream that I had to meet a very important woman up amongst the Lakota people. And I had to leave there within a few days to be up on Lakota country. And it, it's weird because about two days later, I got a message 
from my, uh, I guess, um, brother, um, uh, Charles Robinson, his name, he's a Choctaw and Cherokee brother. And he says to me, you must seek Andy Redbird when you're on Pine Ridge Rosebud Reservation. Andy Redbird is the man you need to seek. I'm going, okay. And that's all, it was just like, it was, it's weird because it was like um, uh, dotted messages. It wasn't a full on, you know, like, it was just like kind of just dropped in clues for you. You must go and do this. And it was, it was all very coming from a higher place. They're like, you must do, 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 seek such and such. And I was like, man, is this guy playing games with me? What's going on here? And you have to be there on the 26th of June, I think. I think it was 26th of June. You have to be on 26th of June. You must be there on that day. So I rush out of Hopi Land, say goodbye to my new brother, Jojo. Um, I get to Flagstaff. I jump on a plane from Flagstaff to Phoenix and from Phoenix to Denver and Denver out to Rapid City in South Dakota. And I walk out and I go to hire a car and there's no cars left except for one. And the guy goes, there's one car left. You can have it if you want it. It's a Fiat. And I'm like, and I've never heard of a Fiat before. I don't know what the hell a Fiat is. So we walk out and here's this Fiat and it's about this big. It's as big as a shoebox. <laughs> I don't know if you've, seen a, like, if you've seen a small little Fiat. It's as big as a shoebox. I'm standing there going, yep. what the hell? So I get in this little white Fiat and I jump into it. And I, I, and I'm a big, and I'm a pretty big, I'm not a huge guy, but I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. And I'm sitting there going, I'm driving a Fiat. So I'm riding this little Fiat. I think it's a, I think it's a French car, I'm not sure, but this small little matchbox it's, kind for any, any of the kids, any kids that might listen to the pod. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an Italian car to get up the small streets of Italy. Like when they had the really tiny streets of Italy, like they're, they're, yeah. they're like the like where the horse and cart used to go, they had to actually give a car that would fit through the same laneways through the small streets of Italy. So that's exactly what the little feed is. They are tiny as. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, going to tell this story. I, I was going to tell this story later, but since we're deep into it, I may as well keep going. And this is one of my my, my one of my greatest adventures was was this time. So I jump into this Fiat. I'm driving out of Rapid City now. Rapid City and that South Dakota is the home of the Warrior Tribe. You know the, the Lakota people, like warring warrior people that you know fought and defeated Custer. They they defeated the Seventh Cavalry. You know defeated the the American Army. And they still have that pride in holding that flag. The American army has never taken that flag back from them. And they mm. still walk around saying that. That's like, we have defeated the army. So I'm driving down out of Rapid City past the Black Hills. And I'm like a big blubbering baby. I'm going, oh, my God, this is, am I, I'm not really doing this. And I'm having people tell me, oh, you know, Pine Ridge and Rosebud, the reservations, you know, they're the most violent places outside of a war zone. Be very careful when you go in there because people disappear there. They disappear into the badlands and never seen again. In fact, there's a lot of movies about it. There's a lot of people talk about this. But in my spiritual realm, in my culture, my law, I was being told this is the right thing to do. You're on your path. Believe this. Follow it. Dream it. Make it reality. So I'm literally driving in my Fiat past the Black Hills, which is known as the heart heartbeat of the country of the Turtle Island in the heart of Lakota spiritual sort of dreaming and, and ceremonies and culture and creation comes from up there to them. And I'm crying, I'm blubbering. I drive onto the Pine Ridge Reservation and I come up to Ogallala um, City or, or the town of Ogallala. So, you know, there's different groups. Uh, you got the Ogallala band, you got the Lakota Nation, right? The Lakota Nation, the Lakota Nation. They have different bands. You've got the Hang Papa, mm-hmm. you've got the Sejanku, you've got the Ogallala. So these are all clans, if you will, of the great Lakota nation. 
the actual Sioux, the, the, the Sioux, the word Sioux is not really their language. It was actually the French, I believe, or the Spanish that used the word Sioux for them. They're, they're actually the Lakota. They're not Sioux. Right. Um, so that's one thing I learned as well. So I, I drive through Ogallala, this town of Ogallala, and I come out the other side, and there's this huge parade walking down the main, like on the road. So I had to pull over and stop. And there's all these, you know, big Lakota warriors walking. And on on Harleys and you know you know carrying you know um, spears and and you know like real warrior society and on cars and I'm going oh my god I look at I look at the date I'm going this is the day they defeated Custer this is the 26th of June they defeated Custer on this day so they're they're celebrating the defeat of Custer you know because the, the great warrior Crazy Horse was Ogallala and Sajanku I think I think it's from he's from those two bands and I'm going I'm I gotta, I gotta say something. I gotta join. I gotta be part of this. So I walk up to one of the young fellows and who's, who's there with a camera filming everything. I said, "Excuse your brother. Are you fellows um, marching and commemorating, you know, uh, the, the the battle of the Little Bighorn when you fellows de- de- defeated Custer, General Custer?" He goes, he looked at me. He goes, "Huh?" He gave me this real stupid look, like, "What? No." <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, really? So what are you doing? He goes, "No, no, no, no. What we're here to today is we're here." in remembrance he goes that's great that you know that history but that's not why we're here. He said, he said, i'm sure there's someone celebrating summer because of that he said but we're here today we just came from the cemetery over here where some of our loved ones of uh, you know uh, are laid buried our warriors he said we're going down here to the sundance to the to, to, to the sundance grounds because back in 1975 the fbi attacked us over here at the sundance grounds and and our warriors, Leonard Peltier and Bob Robidoux stood up and fought back against them. And Bob Robidoux to this day, uh, sorry, uh, Leonard Peltier to this day is still in a federal prison in Florida, in a maximum security prison, as a political prisoner. He's like their version of Nelson Mandela. Right. And I was like, what? I said, I've never heard of this man before. And I said, oh, brother, he's, our, he's one of our freedom fighters. He was part of the AIM movement, which was the American Indian movement which obviously is the equivalent of the Black Panthers, mm. um, you know, for, for, the, for the Black American movement. Yep. And I was like, can I please march? Can I march in honor and stand with you? And he looked at me like, I guess so. Who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Aboriginal. I kind of stated who I was. And, and they all looked at me funny. And I ended up putting my red, I, put, I had ochre with this. So I put some red ochre on me and I put my Aboriginal shirt flag on and I jumped in and followed them down to the Sundance grounds. And I drove my feet. <laughs> um, and I got to get the reason I'm telling you about the fear is because when I got to the Sundance grounds, the Warrior Society of the Lakota people, the Ogallal, the Warrior Society are a, a, a real war, like they're proper warrior. They're the protectors. They're the ones. They're the dog soldiers. And when you come into their world and onto their reservation, you better be prepared because they're going to check you out. And if you're full of shit, you're going to disappear. Or if you're there for the wrong reasons you're going to get told to leave really quickly. Um, so they come up and checking me out, and all the kids and the women straight away started laughing at me because of my feet. They thought it was such a funny joke, and they come, all, and all the big warriors are coming up to me and started giggling. They go, hey, man, hey, man, hey, man, you can't come on the res with that. You can't come on to the res in your feet. You can't do that. Because I'm parking up beside their big, you know, big F-trucks, yeah, looking at me going, oh, this weird dude coming over driving around in a Fiat and they're on the rares. Man, you can't bring that car in here. 
and all the women are going, oh, look how cute his car is. It's, it's like that movie Cars. And they're all making fun of me. So all of a sudden, I, did, I wasn't a threat, you know? Mm. So I reckon the spirits and the ancestors put that fear there for me to travel in as my chariot to actually break down the barriers to give to make me make me look like I wasn't a threat. I was a clown. Mm. I was a joke. I was a jester. You know, I was the opposite of anything they ever thought of. And I came in a loving, special, spiritual way. So I sat with them and Leonard Peltier's um Leonard Peltier's wife, Auntie Dorothy, came up to me and she goes, Your uncle Leonard Peltier wanted me to tell you that he had a dream about you that you were coming. And he's going to say that a minute on the in, in, in a minute on the phone. I'm like, what? So they ring Leonard Peltier in in the federal prison. He's on the phone because they're doing this commemoration. Hmm. And Leonard Peltier goes, "There's a young man amongst you there today. He's come from millions, thousands of miles away across the ocean. He's our family. He come to me in his dream in the spirit world, and you must take care of him and make him welcome on our lands. That's our family. He's here for an important reason." And I started crying, and I see all these oh, big Lakota wow. warriors. I see all these big Lakota warriors in the you know in their uh, Warrior Society bests on their Harleys all come up to me one by one and embrace me and hug me and cry and tell me, you're our family. You're, you you will be protected on the res. You're here with us. Um, and his wife came over to me, Adi Dorothy, and she said, you know, you're a messenger. You're a messenger from your people to come here and connect us spiritually. And we've been talking and hearing from your people for a long time. And and that then really blew my mind as to the reason I was there. And I said, well, you know, a, a woman came to me in a dream and, and I was told to find this man, Andy Redbird. And they all looked at each other and said, yeah, you got to go to Rosebud. You must go to Rosebud. The people you seek are at Rosebud. And I'm like, and that was it. They didn't give me any more. They didn't give me more than I needed, you know, or, 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 any, or any less that I didn't need. They fed me. They gave me a drink. They put me in my feet and sent me on my way. And I said, you're, you're, we know who you are here now. You roam around this res untouched. So then the word went out. There was this, there was this crazy Aboriginal guy in a white Fiat driving across the res. <laughs> I drive up to, I drive from Pine Ridge, I'm heading up to Rosebud, and I get to the Wounded Knee turnoff. I pull over the side of the road, and a, a native policeman, a native copper, pulls up beside me and taps on the window, and he's like, hey, excuse me, sir, where the hell do you think you're going in a Fiat on the res? <laughs> he's like, man, you can't bring this, you can't bring this thing on the res. He goes, you and your car will disappear. And I started laughing. And I said, I'm trying to find Rosebud. And I said, but I wanted to stop here and put down some uh, red ochre in honor of the Wounded Knee Massacre. And he said, ah, very honored, honorable of your brother. He said, here's my number, here's my name. Rosebud's that way. I'm going to ring ahead and let the Rosebud native police know you're coming and to keep an eye out for you. Go into the Rosebud police. Don't go anywhere else. Otherwise, you might, we might lose you. You might disappear. And I'm like, what's, what's going on here? So I drive off. I get into Rosebud just on sundown and I see the, the native police station beside the community hall. And I notice outside the community hall, there's a heap of cars there. And I'm going, I must go and introduce, I can't, I can't go to the police first. I, I haven't come this far not to go and introduce other people. So I walk into the hall and there's you know, probably at least 50 people in there. And they all look around and, and I say, hey, he's all gone. And you could hear a pin drop. And I, and I, and I say, uh, I'm looking for Andy Redbird. And everyone all looked at each other. And then they looked at this lady and they said, Mona. And then Mona jumps up and Mona comes out and she goes, come outside with me. And I walk outside and she goes, the people you seek are with Mary Sue. You must go and speak to Mary Sue. 
She's at Spring Creek. You must go that way. And that's all she said. I'm like, I'm like, sister, I found it hard to get here. Can you get someone to drive me out to where that is? She's, and she draws me a map. And I've still, got, I've still got that map. I've got all this, like, all, all this little memorabilia stuff that I that I did on this trip. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a documentary about this one day because it's just such a powerful story. And she hands me the map and she goes, "That lady there in that black and this this beat up black Jeep Cherokee, and she had about three kids in the back." She goes, "That and it, and 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 it was not just a beat up; it was a homemade painted black Cherokee." I'm going. This doesn't look good. This doesn't look good for me here. This doesn't. What's what's going on? Um, she 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 says she'll take you out and show you where Spring Creek Road is. So I'm driving down this lady, following her out in this black Jeep Cherokee with painted on you know black paint, and she and and the black top ends. We get to the end of the bitumen, and there's this dirt road. She goes, follow that dirt road to the end. Now at the end of that dirt road, you'll find Mary Sue and the people that you seek are waiting for you. So I jump on this thing and I drive down the road and I stop in my feet and I look back and I see her and her kids looking at the window going, is this crazy dude really going to go down there? And I could, I could feel them going, and I, I could feel this thing going, this is the moment. This is the moment. If you believe truly in your spirituality and in your law and in your ceremony, this is the moment that you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Are you going to turn around and hightail it out of here and, and cry and run for your life? Or I got to trust your intuition. You got to trust your ancestors. You got to trust your ceremony, and you got to follow through and go and see this Mary Sue. I kid you not. I drive for about 10, 15 minutes. I come over this prairie and down into this beautiful spot that looked like an idyllic situation out of Dances with Wolves, when uh, you know Kevin Costner's character yeah. find, finds the place where he's living. That's what it looked like. You know, willow trees and cottonwood trees, and there's this whole derelict house on the corner and. There were broken down cars, you know, vans, all in the yard. And I walk up the back and I knock on the back door and this door opens and there's this old 80-year-old Native American woman, Lakota woman, she looks at me and she smiles and she goes, hello, my son, I've been waiting for you. I'm your mother. And she walked around, she hugged me and she goes, come with me, I'm going to take you down to the Sundance grounds. The medicine man, the medicine man is waiting for you. And I walked down the, I'm going, I'm starting to cry. I'm blubbering. She goes, don't worry, baby. I'm your mother here in America. I birthed you here. So I'm mom Mary Sue. Come with me. And she takes me out to the Sundance grounds and they're getting ready for the big Sundance ceremony because that's their big um, yearly uh, medicine ceremony to heal each other. And there are these native, you know, these Lakota warriors who are about to go into a sweat lodge. And, the, and she walks up and there's, Big, you know, the, the epitome, the, the 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 stereotype of a Lakota warrior. They're standing, five of them, and the medicine man. And he walks up, and they're speaking Lakota. No one speaks English. They're all speaking Lakota to each other. And then he just goes, hoop. and she looks at me, and she goes, you must go and sweat with them. And she gives me the things I need for the sweat. You need a towel. You need this. You need that, blah, blah, blah. You take some you them shorts, so you can go in naked if you want. I go into this, and I'm shitting myself because the, 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 you know, again, is this for real or are they going to go in here and cook me up and having a roast? We're having a roast Alec Dormagy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I trusted my belief and I trusted my ceremony. I trusted my law. I went in. I spent the most powerful sweat lodge ceremony with one of the most powerful Lakota medicine men of all time. In it. Um, the next day, uh, when I came out, I was amongst an uncle, my new uncle, this medicine man, and my new brothers that I was in there with. And um, Mum Mary Sue meets me after the sweat, and she goes, 
So the medicine man is my little brother, Stanley. And by the way, my father was named William. And his brother was named Stanley. So William Stanley, welcome to your family. No way. No bullshit, brother. So my, and wait for it, it gets, it gets deeper. She goes, my maiden name is Redbird. I know that you've got the red tail feather with you. You're the Redbird family. And she goes, my married name is Walking Eagle. And I was like, years later, when the name Eagle, the Eagle name came to me, I'm going, well, that's where the Eagle comes from as well, because my mother over there is, is the Eagle. And her, her, her maiden name was Redbird. And her father, and her father's brother, uncle, was William and Stanley Redbird. So my grandfather's here are William and Stanley Dumaji. My name yeah. is William Stanley. So this all was coming together. About three days in, I, we'd, we'd get up every morning. I'd, I'd, I stayed there with her. And I'd get up every morning, have coffee, and look out the window. And she'd play she'd play country music. I'm talking old country music. I'm talking like, you know, the old Merle Haggard stuff. And, yeah. you know, George Jones uh, through this old radio. And she'd sit at the window and have her cowboy coffee. She calls it cowboy coffee. And I'd sit there with her. And every day I'd say to her, you know, I was told to find this Andy Redbird character, and I still haven't heard from him yet. And at this stage, I still didn't put two and two together. You know, Mom, Mary Sue. <laughs> About the third day in, we're sitting at the window laughing and this black little car go past. And she goes, oh, there's Andy now. And I said, Andy who? She goes, Andy Redbird. I said, what? You know him? She goes, yeah, he's my little brother. <laughs> and, I, and that was the most, like, to this day, one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me and, and spiritually uplifting and empowering and i gotta say if i ever doubted my belief in my ceremony my culture my spirituality before i haven't doubted it since uh, and i've had many moments like that since as well and before you know that that but that was one of the most powerful and you know to meet my family over there to meet my mother over there mary sue redbird walking eagle um and to have a to have a um relationship with her and a life with her on this planet while she was still physically here was very powerful um she crossed over into the great dreaming in you know, the spirit role in november 2020 and i speak to her every day and i pray to her every day and tell her how much i love her but she was someone that was very important to me and you know her her children over there became my brothers and sisters mona mm. remember the mona i spoke about earlier mona's my sister that's one of her daughters um the the, the medicine man was stanley redbird named after his father stanley so my grandfather Stanley over there, and I got an uncle Stanley over there. He was the medicine man, um, and everybody just all was interconnected and all knew each other and knew me. And the story and the ceremony and the spirit world was speaking. And they told me when I was in that spirit world with him, they said to me, "They said we knew you were coming. The spirits told us you were coming. If we we felt your presence and your home here and you're welcome here, and you'll always be welcome. This will always be a part of you. This is the portal that your people have been talking to for a long, long time." In the spirit world, and we're, we're very honored to have you here with us. Um, and 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 that has opened up a new world to me and a connection that I still carry to this day. And you know, that I utilized a lot of my creative stuff. And you know, I, I created a festival around empowering native people, and I brought a lot of my my brothers and sisters from the Lakota people over at Rosebud over here to Australia. And you know, we practiced ceremony up home and we did culture arts. You know, I, I created this festival called the Frontier Days Festival. 
which couldn't go ahead last year due to COVID and also due to finances. But hopefully, looking looking to try and uh, get some money into finance that won't get up and running in a couple of years. But you know, that's why I believe so much in who I am and what I'm about, and I'm very confident in, in and I guess my my um, my journey is is because I manifest, I dreamt it, and I and it became reality for me. So that's just one one of the stories, brother. There's plenty of them like that. Um, <laughs> uh, like so, yeah. I, I, my mind blown. Um, yeah, it's as I said a little bit early before you. You know, you went into that. I'm, yeah. I, I'm 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 moving into this open world of intuition, connection. You know, um, just allowing. You know, when when things pop up and they they talk to you, just allowing them. And if ever I needed a sign. Uh, to say continue on and someone to be inspirational and you know who's been there and everything else then you know you're uh <laughs> if that story doesn't do it for me and many others then uh you know we, we, we've we've decided to close everything else so thank you that was beautiful um so the other part that we wanted to chat about as you said there's probably many other stories so you know you and i could probably yeah you've got your chronicles which i'm sure you're going to do a lot of these stories on um you know the, the, the other part of getting on here and and again i'm not, I'm not going to diminish that story um that was just so powerful and so like, honestly there was tears welling up with me and like you know just goosebumps and skin shaking and, and everything else as you're talking through that it was just i felt everything that you were talking and and so that was just amazing um I do want to touch on a little bit about what is happening today because we've spoken about it a couple yep. of times too. Um, yes, so this world that we're in, this uh, you know crazy world that's happening to us, um, yep. and in particular, you know, and and you've talked to, uh, into a couple of things around, you know, I'm going to take us back, like in 1970 odd, you know, like you know, so that's when you were born, 78. You still had, I mean, and this is the thing, like for only 40 odd years ago, we still had white Australia basically inappropriately, you know, misusing black Australians, natural Australians, Aboriginals, you know, mm. slaves, impregnating them, not taking accountability, you know, knowing that that was still happening through the pastoral parts of through Australia. Um, you know, uh, if I look at, you know, the, uh, Recently, just finished. You know, Jack Charles is a guy that's down this way. Um, so yeah. this, his book, Archie Roach, I've just been through all his book and everything else, and they all talk to the same thing. And, and again, that's where I'm just in, in this world of both embarrassment, anger, and sadness about you know being a 50 year old male in Australia and just you know eyes starting to open up to the atrocities that, that have taken place. But you know, stolen kids. You know, the challenges that having, as you said, like. Um, you know, a white dad in in a in an Aboriginal community. So you know, your mob going, hang on a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, how does that look? And you getting acceptance from them. Um, you know, and just the indoctrination that's taking place in you know, Aboriginal Australia today about you know the push of Western medicine onto them. You know, um, but the, the thing I've struggled with is you know, a few people I followed on Instagram, but then I've dropped off. I'm going, you know, I see you as, you know, a leader in the Aboriginal, but over here you're telling people to go and get the jab. Yeah. It's okay yeah. for you to go and get it, but, like, you're having a go at white people from not being connected or allowing your culture to exist. Yeah. You're pushing a white medicine. 
Yes, like, exactly. Like where that's what I'm struggling a little bit now is like this connection. I mean, there had to be medicines. Like you talked to Sandalwood and, and you did a real lot of it recently. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we we've loved Sandalwood, by the way. It's it's you know, just the scent on its own is is powerful. Um, you know, we're into natural oils, we're actually into natural, healthy living. You know, we're all plant-based. Um, you know, that's just because it's our choice because I'm not into the way our animals are farmed these days. I think it's it's you know it's not natural. It's not native. Um, you know they fill them. You know they're filling us all through full of shit wherever yeah. they can find it. Right? It's in our food. It's it's in the soft drinks. And, and as you're saying before, it's you know I, I one of the things I'm completely recognising the fact that they're driving this world of disconnection through externalisation, social media, pornography, alcohol, drugs, like. Push, push, push. The more disconnected people we can get, the easier it is to control them. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to work with men. So that's what my space is with men to say, how can I get you from being disconnected to reconnected? Yep. To move to the path of being connected and then to the path of actually almost that surrender, completely just knowing that you are, your energy is the universal energy. And and you are the one and the same. There is no difference between you, the plant, the animal, the bird, the tree. We are all one. And yeah. what I do here actually impacts something there energetically. It's we're all connected. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so back to what's happening with uh, Indigenous Australia, Aboriginal Australia. I know I've been using wrong terms all the way through. What's happening with the mob? <laughs> right, let's go back. What's happening with the mob? Like, let's get into that space because that you're an activist. You're passionate about what's yeah. going down with the mob at, at the moment within Australia. So let, let's get into that space as well. Well, let's let's talk about that for a minute because that's that's bringing a lot of uh, disunity. I, I guess um, you know um, it's a conquering divide uh, tactic again. It's it's the system using its power to and its narrative and its propaganda sort of machine to turn uh, you know blackfellas against blackfellas. And it's always worked. It's worked very, very good in this country. Now, no disrespect to any of my brothers and sisters out there that believe they need to get the jab. And, and if they want it, and you know, they've been scaremongered into doing it, or their lived reality is that they have to get it in order to survive and live, all means, go ahead and do it. My issue is do not attack me for my choice not to. That tells me there's something wrong. Also, what tells me something wrong, and this is just me using my intuition, and, you know, again, it's served me well so far. I mean, I survived mm-hmm. going through the Lakota country warrior people. So if my intuition can help me survive being scalped by my brothers over there, I'm telling you right now, my intuition is telling me that something's not right here, something a little bit sinister, something a little bit odd. It smells funny to me. Now, I'm not saying that all Western medicine is wrong. I'm not saying that all Western medicine is bad. I'm not saying it hasn't had an impact on the world and society as a whole. There's been a lot of good breakthroughs. There's been a lot of good things within Western society and Western medicine that has been beneficial and that has changed the game big time. Mm. Pregnancies, being able to have cesareans, uh, all that stuff that's actually beneficial to our mob and helping our women and saving them. You know, I guess you can look at penicillin as a game changer. You can look at some of the things that come you know, uh, uh, through the medical terms with um, you know, anesthetic and, you know, the, the, the use of poppy oils and all sorts of stuff to help our mob. I also know that we had a long-standing existing practice of medicinal use for natural plants and natural, you know, I guess, um, uh, 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 remedies here in this country mm-hmm. that has sustained us and helped us survive over a long period of time. We live in a country where there's heaps of snakes, 
like real poison snakes. We've got 10 of the top poison snakes in the world. You don't think or believe that we would have had a remedy or an antidote for that? Like, you can't tell me that we lived here amongst these snakes, not stood on them, and hadn't killed us all out. We must have had something that helped us with. There must have been a remedy or a, or a medicine or an antidote for brown snake bite, for taipan bites, for red belly black. These are very poisonous snakes. So don't sit there and attack me when I say, well, I'm going to drink some sandalwood and hopefully that'll help me through this. I'm also very fit. I take care of myself. I don't smoke. I'm not a big drinker. I don't abuse drugs. I'm, 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 I'm in a different sort of realm where I guess someone that is at risk of this. I don't have diabetes, knock on wood. Let's hope that stays that way. You know, sugar diabetes is a big killer of mold. I don't have kidney failure. I don't have pre-existing health conditions that um, is, is, is going to put me at risk for this super flu. I call it a super flu because if there is a virus, if, if COVID is a thing, and I'm pretty sure there is something, I believe it's a new strand of the, of the flu. It's just because it, all the symptoms points to the flu or pneumonia or something to do with that. So if you're telling me, and, and trust me, I've had really bad flus before. I, you know, I had one a couple of years ago that, that had me bedridden and I was really cruel. Mm. I've had them. I know what they feel like. My body, my immune system worked through it and I got better. So I believe whatever this thing is that, that, that they're you know, using as a, as a way to scare people to control you is a very strong a strand of the flu. Um, that you know, when I call it COVID, I was going to call it, and you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, you know, trust the science. Here's a little bit of a um epiphany for you. You know what science is telling me? Science is actually telling me that even if you get the jab, you still are not protected from it. And even if you get the jab, you still can pass it on. And even if you get the jab, it still doesn't make any difference when you don't have a jab. That's what science is actually telling me. Mm. You know what I mean? So come on, bro. Come on, common sense tells me, okay, but if science is telling me that none of not, it doesn't matter whether you get it or get it, I might just sit this one out and wait for a bit. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and wait until you get something that actually does protect me, does prevent it, doesn't you know, <laughs> like that does give me a suit of armor. And what's sad, what's sad is that I see a lot of Aboriginal people out there uh, in the public domain, whether it's on their socials or not, pushing it and pushing on their mob claiming that it's like the smallpox and you're killing your mob. But what, what they're doing is they're using psychological warfare and they're psychologically, um, I guess, abusing other Aboriginal people into getting it. They're saying, oh, if you don't get it, you're endangering your community. If you don't get it, you're going to kill your elders. Right? Get the fuck out of here, that shit. I'm sorry, but I have to say that because that's bullshit. You don't think the system is doing a good enough job killing our mob already? You don't think the powers that be have a big target on our foreheads already, but you want to come and push and perpetrate and have a go at your own mob out in the public domain and tell us that we're, we're part of the problem and we're, we're part of killing our people. Just sit back and wait till the information filter through properly because I believe, from what I understand, there's a lot of doctors, there's a lot of scientists and a lot of experts that don't agree with this jabby-jabby and don't agree with this vaccine and certainly don't agree with the way it's all being rolled out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Exactly. So, my common sense and my intuition and my spiritual belief and my culture and my law, my power in me and everything that, everything that I've learned from the last 240 years of the way this white system wants to help me, I call bullshit on it. And that's the way I'm doing it. And I'm doing it from my lived experience. I'm doing it from someone that's lived through 
the hardship of black police, the black vets in custody. My cousin Cameron Dumas was killed on Palm Island while in custody. Uh, I just mm-hmm. come back from opening a memorial up to him. So don't tell me about fighting the system. Don't tell me about propaganda. Don't tell me about them protecting themselves. Because they did that to me and my family when they killed my cousin, when he died in custody. Mm-hmm. And when he, when and when the guy that committed the, 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 the death in custody, because you can't say murder, you know, he already been to court. But the system failed him. The system on the technicality let him off. Just like the system on the technicality recently released George Pell. Like, these yeah. are like if you if you look at it as a whole, and, and you know, there's ways of uh, around what they're doing, and they're utilizing their game. Here's another thing. Here's another thing I want to say to you, all you Aboriginal mob out there, all the black fellas out there. We are playing a game of their. This is their game. This is their ballpark. This is their. This is their playbook. Right? You understand what I'm saying to you? So if they're going to change the rules, and if they're going to change the empires, and if they're going to get new players in, they're going to do it. So when you're sitting in their world and you're playing their game and you're jumping to their whim and you're, and, you're, and you're listening and believing their narrative, you've already lost. And I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say you're a sheep. I'm not going to sit here and badmouth you and, and, and um, uh, you know, tell you uh, that you're bowing to the system and you're already beaten because I know how hard it is. I know you've all been beaten down. I know how hard it is to survive. I know when you see everyone around you in all the messaging saying this, I, I, I'm with you 100%, whether you get the jab or you don't. I'm just saying to you, for me, I don't feel it's right, and I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to wait and see how things go out. I'm going to wait and see what comes along and when the science does tell me it protects me and, it, and, I, and I can't pass on. Because at the moment, science is telling me that I can't. Science is telling me that when you get the jab, you still don't want to protect it. Science is telling me that when you get the jab, you still can pass it on to family members. And science is also telling me, and this is another one that I want to add in it, this is what is being spoken about quietly. They're going, blah, 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 blah. Science is also saying that when you get the jab, it weakens your immune system and opens you up to being infected by other diseases. So if you've got pre-existing conditions, guess what? You're going to die from them. That's what science isn't saying out loud. That's what, that's what science is saying, but that's what the media and the propaganda machine aren't saying out loud. And i got to say this. Just recently, there's been deaths up home in my community and close by that are very suspicious. I'm talking after people have gotten the jab, they've had heart attacks and their heart has been heart issues and they've died. That tells me that something is not right here. Something stinks and it's a bit sinister. So, you know, I've spoken to my mother and I can only take care of my backyard. When people ask me what's the answer and and what's the way forward, I can only look after myself and my backyard, my children, my wife, my my mother. I spoke to my mother about it and mom's very adamant. She trusts me and she trusts my judgment. She said, baby, I'm not going to get the jab. If you say that, I won't. So she isn't. She's going at bush. She's eating bush tucker. You know, if you look at our people's diet, it's terrible because the Aboriginal community shops, the Aboriginal community shops are, are littered with disgusting tinned food with all sorts of processed bullshit in it. And the yeah. fresh fruit that does finally get out there is over almost two weeks old and costs an arm and a leg. A bottle of milk in an Aboriginal community is about $8. That's bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Go to my hometown of Doomerji and have a look at how much things cost in that shop. And most of those people, on average, are earning maybe 300 bucks a fortnight. A fortnight, not a week, a fortnight. And guess what? Most of those Aboriginal community shops, guess who owns them? The state government. They belong to the state government. So the money goes back into them. Then you've got the health system. Let's talk about the health system. The health system, over a long period of time, have been killing our people by dismissing them, 
by uh, uh, telling, you know, uh, being disrespectful to them. System- systemic racism in Aboriginal community hospitals is disgusting. They, they um, you know, make you feel like you're an inconvenience to the fact you walk out and hand you a Panadol. They give you Panadol to save you from everything. And people are dying from it. I know a young fellow that died in, in Dumaji, my community, in Dumaji in 2018. He had an abscess on his teeth, on his gum. And they sent him home with a Panadol. An hour later, he died in his mother's arms because the abscess busted. He got, he, he got, he got blood poisoning. Yep. How can that shit be happening? If this system cares about me so much, I, that's why I, I, I don't get it. If this, if this health system cares about it so much, where was the concern of the health department down in New South Wales, in, in those Aboriginal communities out in North New South Wales, a couple of weeks ago, and apparently there was big COVID outbreaks. Mm. The cops were sending people away with food that were going in to feed those people. The actions of these so-called people that care about us are totally different and not in, not consistent with those that are trying to save us. I mean, look and think and breathe. And Aboriginal mob that are for the jab can't see this. The man, uh, yeah, I'm not going to run around banging on your windows and waking you up. That's that's your choice to do that. So do that, but just don't attack me and 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 call me someone that's endangering my mob just because I'm not choosing to walk your path. I've got my own path and I believe fully in what I'm doing. And that's why I'm really glad I told this story earlier about my belief and about my culture and about my law, because that's what I really am. I'm a lawman. I'm a spiritual lawman that trusts in my intuition and my lived experience and how I've been treated. I'm 45 years old. I was born in 1976 and the way I've been treated all my life certainly does not tell me that the system I'm living in cares about me. Black deaths in custody, suicide rates, incarceration rates, uh, uh, youth pregnancies, uh, uh, homelessness, joblessness. The list goes on. Health concerns, the health issues. Yesterday in the in the newspapers up here, the Curry Curry Mail newspapers. I wouldn't know what the equivalent is down Melbourne way. I think it's the Sydney Morning Herald in, in Sydney or whatever. But there's a story on Mornington Island with the mayor talking about kids in their twenties getting diabetes, sugar diabetes. Because the system brought in the AMP laws, the alcohol management laws, mm. so these mob are starting to make homebrew. And look, guess what? They're not very good at making homebrew. Mm. You know, our mob have never made alcohol. We drank sandalwood and other stuff and things like carver and that, but not alcohol. So all these mob are making homebrew up home, and they don't know how. They, they, you know, the Irish, great, great beer makers, you know, the, the Scottish, oh, because that's that's their, their culture, their law, make them out of, mm. you know, potatoes or whatever. Up here, they're using sugar and putting a heap of sugar and cordial into it, and they, they, they're getting this recipe that is that is destroying their kidneys. And kids as young as 25-year-old you know, kids are ending up with kidney failure and, on, and uh, on dialysis and dying. Like, that's a pandemic. Like, the real pandemics in our communities are not being addressed or are being uh, uh, sugar-coated or, or even, you know, putting Band-Aids fix on. I've spoke about, you know, rheumatic heart disease, which is a pandemic. That's a third world country disease, and it's it's a problem. I lost my daughter last year to that. You know, like if you want to talk to me about how much the system cares about me, what you're saying and what they're actually doing are two different things. I'm telling you right now, um, my sister last year, Del Sandy, died due to the treatment, uh, her treatment at the Dumaji Hospital. Around the same time, George Floyd had a copper's uh, a knee on his throat. My sister had the entire health system of Queensland with their knee on her throat for three days and she died and no one gave a shit. No one said nothing because it's just another black woman. Don't care. That doesn't matter that she wasn't an alcoholic or wasn't a drug abuser 
that she was a mother, that she was a law woman, that she hunted and fished and looked after herself. Didn't care about that. Just another number. And the budget told them they didn't want to find a flying doctor to get her out. We're investigating all that stuff and we're investigating. I've, I've, I'm working really hard in the back. While all this mob are chucking shit at me, I'm out there doing the hard jobs, doing the things that need to be done. So keep coming at me. It's just giving me fuel for my fire. Keep motivating me to actually spill the truth and bring the truth out. And some of the things we're finding over the last 12 months, absolutely disgusting. You are going to be shocked by the health system in this country and their treatment of Aboriginal people, especially the one in, I say, I'm, I'm only going to speak for the Queensland health system right? and, and, and the treatment of a, a couple of our mob up in Doomagin. And you'll be, you will be shocked and blown away by what we're finding. I'm not going to talk too much about it on here, but it will be coming out very soon. And then all your mob out there that are doubting me, that are attacking me and that have a go at me, I hope you wake up then because most of you mob, you don't believe black fellas until a white man come and tell you. That's your problem. You believe the white man too much. When a white man rock up with his study, with his report and with his, with his in-depth analysis of it all, all of a sudden, oh, my God, Alec was right. Shit. Sorry, brother. Too late then. You won't be welcome at my fire camp then. <laughs> now, nah, you'll always be welcome. I don't care if you hate me or not. Um, I'm just trying my best to survive in a world where it's hell bent on eradicating me and destroying me and my people and my connection to land. Because, again, we are the thorn in white Australia's side, the lie that's always been perpetrated here and will continue to be perpetrated until we address it, brother. So that's what I'm about. Um, and that's how I feel. And I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll keep saying what I'm saying. And if it's shaking the foundations of, of not just the Aboriginal community, um, you know, and getting the attention of the powers that be and the people that need to hear it, then so be it. My job's done. And I'll, I'll happily go and sit beside my ancestors in the great dreaming and tell them, you know, I did what you mob was telling me through the spirit world. And I'll continue to do it. Oh, brother, I'm, um, I'm going to have to get going soon because I've got, got a wife that's about to go to dinner with our, uh, her mum and, and, and go stick, pick our babies up. But I'd like to do more of these talks. Uh, I'd actually yeah. like to come on your podcast a lot more um, and, and, and chat about you know a lot more the the issues and the uh, I guess my journey and the path I walk. Uh, look, Alec, I would love I'd love for us to have another revisit on, on the podcast. Um, we have definitely gone um, over the normal time we run with, but there's no way I'll stop you today. There's no way at all. I think there's many topics that we should keep touching on, and I'm happy to create like even if it's off the side educational one where we sit there and just keep pumping out you know um, a whole yep. lot of stuff that people need to know. Look. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate your openness, your honesty. Again, I've still got shivers about that, the story with you and the Lakota people. Like, that is just... Well, I, I just wanted to put it in the context. Why I'm so beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, wanted, I wanted to put it in the context for you and your listeners why I act the way I do. And even here in Australia, like I do a lot of spiritual, cultural, ceremony stuff that actually answers a lot of the questions. And that's why I speak about the, you know, um, it's psychologically, if I'm telling myself psychologically that Sandalwood is going to save me and help me, physically and mentally, spiritually, it does. Um, because that's part of the healing process and part of, you know, taking care of yourself, mind, body, and soul. Um, yeah, but look, thank you for having me on. And um, I got to get going because we're going to go and have some Sunday Sunday roast with the family. All right, mate. Look, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, seeing you much love. And I'll definitely touch base with you very soon and uh, we'll continue having a chat. Take care, mate. Yeah. Have a great night. Much love. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye. Hey, wow. Um, so that's uh, Alec Willie Stanley Dumaji. Um What an absolutely just amazing man. Um, 
wasn't sure where we we're going to go with the conversation. I opened it up to him and he went exactly where he wanted to go. And that was the beautiful thing about that story that he told about him going on his his walk. Um, is just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. The fact that uh, you know, we talk about spiritual connection and connection with the universe, but for the events to take out like it took out for him was just completely amazing. So um, I'm going to wrap up there. Alec will definitely be coming on. I can guarantee you that. So um, that's it. That's uh, episode 41 of the Unearthed Man podcast. I'm hoping you all have a beautiful, wonderful day and sending you much love and care. Milvo. Bye.